how do you get on with prayer? Because we're going to talk about how we relate to God through prayer this morning. Um, if you're anything like me, it's a bit of a struggle. Um, I, I identify with the disciples. Jesus, remember the Garden of Gethsemane? And the, um, the, the, the disciples, he says, you know, three times he comes back to them. And he says, could you not watch me, with me one hour? What were the disciples doing? Sleeping. Yeah. How many of you can identify with that? Yeah. We, we start with good intentions. And then we sort of drift off. All the concentration goes. and then, Oh, no, I was praying. Yeah. It's too easy, isn't it? And then, um, and then yeah, we, we've got good intentions. And, and there are a couple of verses in the Bible that... Um, uh, do, you know what the, you know, do you know what the shortest verse in the Bible is? Jesus wept. Jesus wept. My wife knows. Yeah. All that theologically trained didn't go to waste. Right, okay, that, that's the easy one. Do you know what the second and third shortest verses in the Bible are? I'll tell you. They, they come in Thessalonians, and they are rejoice always, and the third one is the one that I Yeah, I struggle with this one. It says, pray continually. Ouch. I don't disagree with the theology. That's fine. That's great. The theology is great. Ooh, that's hard. Pray continually. Does it really say that? Yeah, it does, I'm afraid. Pray continually. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 17. Previous one. Obviously, um, rejoice. Oh, 1, verse 16. That's hard. And then uh, Colossians 4, verse 12. Devote yourselves to prayer. Ooh. These are hard things to say. Well, they're not hard to say, but they're hard to do. And it's a struggle. And prayer is hard. But if we, I mean, some of you may think, yeah, that's right. There are very few people who do that. And sometimes you, you listen to preachers and you read books and think, they make it sound so easy. Um, if you're anything like me, prayer is a challenge. Prayer is hard. And this morning, we're going to look at prayer. I'm not going to give you the solutions Sorry about that. I'm not gonna, we're not all going to walk out here and be people who are constantly in prayer uh, and have, a, have it all, all sorted. Um, but I'm going to give us one or two ways in which we can help. It's going to help us, hopefully help us, and inspire us in our relationship, to develop our relationship with God. Okay. The relationship with God. Who is God? If I could leave that first slide, please. Okay. That's a small sample. I'm pretty sure that unless you've got very good eyesight, you can't read that. Those at the front might just be able to pick out one or two words. Who is God? God is incredible. Uh, You might be able to pick out one or two words. These are some of the names and titles of God. There are a lot more. You could keep on going and going and going. You might, if you scan your eyes, just be able to pick one or two, recognise one or two. There are an enormous number of titles and names for God. They just go on and on. I think somebody said there are about 900. You're probably at about 250 up there. God is beyond naming. God is beyond the universe. He's beyond creation. He created the universe. God is everything. God is God's reign, knows no bounds, no ends. Earthly kings and rulers. Um, the time is limited. That the span, you know. What happened to the Babylonian Empire, the Ottoman Empire, all those empires? If you watch the University Challenge, they come up with these obscure empires. Huh? 
Um, yeah, they've all gone. They're into obscurity now. Um, Putin will disappear. The Chinese will disappear eventually if the, earth, if the world lasts that long. They're gone. They've got... But God's reign goes on and on and on. They all have limited time. God is beyond everything. That's who God is. And yet, despite all the enormity, the amazing power of God that goes beyond everything, God, we read, is our Father. The uh, next slide, please. God is our Father. And yet there are people who say we shouldn't use Father anymore. Shouldn't use our Father, because people might get upset because people got bad experiences of Father. Shouldn't use our Father. Really? What does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? Surely we should use our Father. God is our Father. God is our Father. The Bible says he's our Father. It says it, um, I think I, uh, I mean, oh, I even made a note of how many times it says our Father. Um, 252 times. Uh, it should come up in a minute. I, my, I put the transitions on, it doesn't make it too. Oh, there we go. 252 times. Uh, 50 in the Old Testament, 237 in the New. That's all the verses that talk about, oh, sorry, 200, it's more than 252 times, but 252 times, um, at least that's what I counted, there may be more. Uh, in, sorry, in 252 verses, the Bible says God is our Father. So anyone says, oh, we shouldn't call God our Father, they're talking rubbish, because that's what the Bible says. In here, the Bible clearly says God is our Father. There's no doubts, there's no messing, God is our Father. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that incredible? That God is our Father. 1 John chapter 3. 1 John's an amazing book, isn't it? It tells us that God is, says this, that we are children of God. He has, what is it saying, 1 John 3? He has lavished, lavished his love upon us. That is what we are. He has lavished his love upon us. That is what we are. He then goes on to say um, that this is how God has showed his love among us. He has sent his one and only son into the world that we might through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but he sent his only son as an atoning sacrifice. That's how much God loves us. We are God's children. So here we have God, beyond creation, beyond the world, and yet he's made us his children. When I was picking a picture, I, I thought about showing a picture of God reaching down. In a sense, God does reach down. But God, and the reason I went for God beside us, because God is also beside us. Because God is present. And God is walking beside us. As well as reaching down, he's there with us day by day. And he longs for us to have that intimate one-to-one relationship. You think, well, God is the King of kings and Lord of lords, beyond creation, beyond... But he also wants to have a relationship with you and me. Isn't that amazing? What a privilege, what a joy. That he wants to be with you and me, really? For real, the King of kings? We can't toddle along to King Charles... We, we might pay a ticket and go, and go to Buckingham Palace, and he's probably out. Um, we can't just toddle in, you know, I've occasionally ridden over to 
Read the car says, oh, oh, the standard's up. But I can't knock on the door and say, can I call in for a coffee? No chance. Because usually there's, a, there's always a policeman there with a, with a rather large gun, and I ain't going to argue with him. Uh, but the king of kings, we can talk to him at any time. Because we're a child of God. The, um, Tim Keller says, again, this, this idea that it says, you know, no one can interrupt a king except a small child. What's it? The, uh, I can't remember, what's it? The strange name that the, uh, the grandchildren, the queen call, used to call. Was it Nana or Nana? Or, I can't remember what it was. It, some of us think, oh, isn't that cute? Uh, most of us think, oh, is that a bit naff? But hey, so what? It's her grandchildren. They could interrupt her. But if a, a servant or a politician goes, no chance. Um, you see, that's the thing with a, with, with a king, with, with the king of kings. We can interrupt at any time. We can have that intimate relationship with God. How special. What privilege. What a joy. One of the things that God wants from us is openness and honesty. Let me read to you Psalm 73. You know, being a Christian is easy, isn't it? Walk in the park. Yes? Oh, it's easy. Never any problems. Never any struggles, never any pains. No. Yeah, sometimes life gets a bit tough. Um, the psalmist in Psalm 73, he was, uh, he was having a tough time. And he was, uh, he was really, uh, he was having a bit of a struggle. And um, this one's not one of David's. Asaph, who was a singer, he worked for the... He wrote many of the psalms. We think David wrote all the psalms. Um, but Asaph wrote some of them. And he was having a struggle. Because he says in verse 2, he says, As for me, my feet had almost slipped. I'd almost lost my foothold. As he admits, I envied the arrogant. I saw the prosperity of the wicked. I said, they've got no struggles. Their bodies are healthy. And he goes on and on. They, and he was, he was admiring the world. He's saying, it's easy it's not fair, Lord. It ain't fair. Why do we have it? Why do we have it so bad? Why do I have it so bad? Why is it so hard? Why is it so difficult? Familiar words? Do you feel like that sometimes? Does it feel like you want to give up? Lord, why? Why? Why does God make me do this? Why do I have to go through all this? In verse 13, surely in vain I've kept my heart pure. In vain I've washed my hands in innocent. All day long I've been plagued. All day long. He's got the real grumps, hasn't he? He's really got fed up. He really is fed up. And um, Psalm 22, a similar one. This is David. David too, he says, he has a similar problem. And he says... Um, um, screen's moved on too fast, apologies for that uh, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me why are you far from saving me so far from the words of my groaning oh my God, I cry out to you day by day but you do not answer by night and by day and am not silent but I am a worm, not a man scorned by man and despised by all people all who see me mock me some of those words are familiar because Jesus echoed some of those on the cross and 
go on and so forth, you could read them at your leisure. He's not happy either. And how do they get round? How does Asaph get round this? Well, let me read you a key verse in verse 17 of Psalm 73. You've already seen it on the screen. You've had it, uh, I might put the transitions on too quickly, didn't I? And what happens in verse 17? He says this. Till I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. Till I entered the sanctuary of God. On those days when we're really fed up, and sometimes when we're really fed up with God, I think it's not fair, Lord. How about doing what Asaph did? Till I entered the sanctuary of God. Till I entered the presence of God. Yeah, if you're really fed up, don't mind about everybody else. Have a good moment with God. It might not be good to shout and scream at God, but it's better than shouting and screaming at everybody else. Tell God how we really feel. Let's be honest with God. Tell God what's really on our hearts. Tell God how much it really hurts. How painful it really is. Because God wants to listen. Just remember we're his child. And when our children are having a tough time and hurting and painful, don't we want to hear from them? Don't we really want to know? Even when they're shouting and screaming, it's not fair. How much does God want to hear us? Yeah, maybe even shouting and screaming. But God wants to know. Because the thing that caused Asaph to recognise what really was going on was when he entered the presence of God. When he came into the sanctuary. Yes, it was a physical place. But it was also a place where God was. Till I entered the sanctuary of God. You know, two great promises of God. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Philippians 4, 6 and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. What a couple of amazing promises. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding. Wow, isn't that tremendous? Bring those problems, bring those issues to God. And that peace of God will transcend all understanding. Let me bring you something else from the story of David, or the life of David. Broken relationships. David, ah, this great paragon of virtue, this great man of God from the Old Testament. Oh, what a superhero. A man, you know, oh, God looks at, man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart and chose David, a man after his own heart. Oh, what a great superstar. A man who, delig- who, a man who neglected his responsibility as king, who stayed behind where all the troops went off to war. A man who lied and cheated, who lust after someone else's wife, who committed adultery and then lied and cheated, who murdered, oh, it was mass murder because he got several, the rest of the frontline troops murdered and then carried on lying and cheating. Oh dear, things went wrong. Uh, sorry, can we see the, uh, the next slide up, please? Um, that broken relationship, that broken relationship with God, which went on for at least a year. Sin got in the way. Sin broke that wonderful relationship from the man after God's own heart, that great King David, that David who was in the line of Jesus. What a mess. What an absolute mess. 
and eventually uh, the prophet uh, Nathan came and spoke to, uh, to David very bravely and challenged him. And in Psalm 51, we have his, his, his great prayer of repentance when he came to his senses. And he says to God, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash in my, my, my iniquity, cleanse me from my sins, for I know my transgression and my sin is always before me. And he goes on to say, Cleanse me. Let, my, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. There had to be a radical change in David. He had to not only recognise his sin, he had to turn away from that sin. It had to be a total transformation. It wasn't just feeling sorry for himself or feeling sorry for being caught out. He had to truly repent, he had to truly uh, put things right. There's nothing like sin to destroy our relationship with God. And when we're struggling, one of the reasons can be that we need to deal with sin. Just, we may never do anything. I hope none of us do anything quite as bad as David. But we still need to take it seriously and get right to heal that broken relationship with God. Okay, uh, there is a promise that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Okay, next slide, please. How do you and I approach prayer? I wonder if we get into the, uh, the shopping mentality. Um, probably forgetting to even say good morning, Lord. Um, uh, and roll out our list. We can do that corporately as well. Wonder, do we roll out our list to God? Ooh. I wonder, who does all the talking? Interesting challenge. Do we do all the talking? Do you know we have two ears, one mouth? The mouth closes, the ears stay open. I wonder... 1 Samuel chapter 3 and verse 9. The, um, Samuel wasn't used to speaking to God, having conversations with God. Uh, neither was Eli very much. And Eli eventually caught on and said, uh, this is what you've got to do. Next time God comes and speaks, you need to do this. You need to say to him, speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. And when we come to prayer... Are we ready to say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Jeremiah 33, verse 3 says, call me and I will answer. Are we ready to listen? Expecting heart for that two-way conversation. Take time to listen. Take time to hear from God. God wants to speak to us. God wants a two-way conversation. Um, when we, uh, uh, when we finished, um, you know, unfortunately, most of this is a, a one-way conversation rather than a two-way conversation. You may not like that. You may think, oh, I'm glad it is a, a one-way conversation. Um, but um, when we finish, we'll have two-way conversations. Uh, we 
chatter, we've been chatting around the table. That's a two-way conversation. But with God, it's supposed to be a two-way conversation. It's a relationship. It's a bit odd if it's a, it's a bit lopsided if it's just us talking and, and God listening. Um, he can handle all the conversations, you know. And part of that is uh, seeking God's will. Seeking God's will. Jeremiah chapter 29. What does Jeremiah 29 say? Famous verse. Anyone know what it says? Yep. For I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you, etc. Declares the Lord. Not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Isn't that a fantastic promise? For I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you hope and a future. What a tremendous promise. Isn't that great? There's a problem with it. It's a conditional promise. Oh. What a shame. Because we all love that promise. That God's got a future for us, plans to give you hope and, uh, and prosper you. Uh, especially those who are really big on prosperity, doctrine, yeah, health, wealth and happiness. Oh, it's great, isn't it? This is a fantastic promise. Uh, conditional. Oops, I've, let it, I've made it trans- uh, move on too fast. Never mind, that's my fault. Um, uh, plans to give you hope in the future. But it says, then you will seek me. You will seek me. Oh, dear. Um, it's, it's given to the people who were in exile. Uh, Jeremiah, um, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Mm. Before this prophecy came true, there was a 40-year gap. It took them that long. When you seek me with all of your heart... Ooh, so the promise is great. But it means seeking. It means finding God. Asking what God wants. Seeking God's will. So we've got a future, we've got a hope. But we need to seek God. We need to find God's will for this promise to be fulfilled. Let's seek him. What, what is in God's mind? What is in God's heart? And we need to seek him with all of our heart. Not half-hearted. Not giving him second priority or third priority to seek him wholeheartedly in our individual lives and in our corporate lives in the church. It's crucial, it's vital that we do that. Everything needs to revolve around him. What are we doing? How do our lives revolve around seeking after God? So that's part of listening, a big part of listening is seeking after God. Great verse from Matthew. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness. Do we do that? Do we seek first the kingdom of God or do we seek after ourselves? In our church lives, one of the, one of the things that um, in church that I've read here, you've got to watch out for is good ideas. Good ideas always sound good. Now, it might be a good idea to sort of uh, get the electrics checked once in a while or the, or the gas checked. That's a good idea. You're allowed to have good ideas to, like, check gas and electric. But most of it doesn't apply to, to vision and what we do as a church and the way we're going forward. Uh, good ideas are not good. We want God ideas. We want the, the will of God. In our own lives, we want the will of God. We need to seek and search after him. We need to spend time in prayer, understanding what God's will is. And the same applies to our own lives. What should we do? Seek out the will of God. And that means time. And that means 
spending time in his word. Because one of the ways he guides us is through his word. That's why I put the picture of the, uh, uh, the little lad with the open word. Seek his will. Otherwise, we're just doing things our way. I was, I was saddened on holiday. Uh, not because I was on holiday. Um, we were um, uh, quite a fairly remote place and, and proud from looking out from our apartment. There was a, a big open space looking over a valley. I mean, this whole floor is quite a big place, actually, but it was looking over this valley and you see the parish church. And I wandered down to the parish church and, you know, I saw nothing about Jesus. Not a thing. There were no activities apart from Sunday that any reflection at all of Jesus. The website had nothing that reflected Jesus. The only thing that was vaguely was that the church is built to reflect the glory of God. That was it. The building. That's it. Are they seeking God? Oh, they did lots of things about the environment. You despair. And that could happen to any church. We stop to seek after the will of God. What about your life? What about my life? How much do we actively seek out God's will? Do we spend time seeking after him? Do we spend time listening? Okay. I want us to, to pray for a minute. I want us to stop. I'm going to do, we're going to do something scary. Close your eyes. And then pause. For three minutes. That's a long time. And I just want to reflect on the things we've been talking about. And just ask God individually. So this is something you're doing on your own. The reason why you close your eyes is so you don't look at other people and look at the watch. Um, and maybe just, maybe even hear from God. Just seek God. And see what God is saying. Let's pause. Father God, thank you. That even as King of Kings and Lord of Lords, as the great creator and sustainer of the universe, that you are our Heavenly Father. Father, thank you that you love us so much, you gave us your Son Jesus who came as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. That we are your children. That you're with us. Beside us. Father, help us in our prayer. Help us in our relationship with you. Help us to have an honest relationship with you. Honest relationship with you. Help us to have devoted a life to you. A life where we, we seek after you. A life where that relationship doesn't get broken, but sustained. Help us to be people, individually and corporately, where we seek after you. Lord, lead us by your Spirit. Guide us by your Spirit. Equip us and empower us, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.